Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. President Biden commemorates Martin Luther King Jr. Day with a speech, but ignores questions about the latest discovery of classified documents. A possible global recession this year. That's what most World Economic Forum experts predict as they hold their annual meeting this week. That's following a period of intensified pushback against the organization and its agenda. Today, insights from a former Wall Street banker turned financial reporter. And Mayor Eric Adams says there's no more room for illegal immigrants in New York City, calling on the federal government for assistance. Republicans are demanding to see visitor logs of President Biden's home. But the White House says they don't exist. And the president also dodged some questions today. Here's NTD's Iris Tao with more. Speaking at a Martin Luther King Day event, President Biden uses the occasion to criticize Republicans. Well, they're fiscally demented, I think. And their new bills, like the one to cut IRS funding, among others. If any of these bills happen to reach my desk, I will veto them. The Biden's wide-ranging speech comes amid the political fallout of classified documents continuing to be found at his home. Biden on Monday quickly went inside the White House, ignoring reporters' questions. Mr. President, are you sure there are no more classified documents? Over the weekend, the White House announced it had found five additional pages of documents at Biden's home on Thursday night. That revelation coming two days after the White House assured us the, the search is clearly complete. And a day after it said we have been transparent in the last couple of days. Republicans are now demanding to see all communications related to searches by Biden's team. They're also asking the White House to turn over visitor logs of Biden's home by the end of this month. But the White House said on Monday there are no visitor logs for Biden's home in Delaware, as this is personal residence. An administration is slamming Republicans for launching investigations, telling Fox News on Monday the House Republicans are, quote, playing politics in a shamelessly hypocritical attempt to attack President Biden. The administration hasn't been transparent. We'll have to seek it through testimony with family members or those who have been at the residence. This is very, very important information for the American people. House Republicans, meanwhile, fired back on Monday by vowing to continue pressing the administration for answers, in particular about who had access to those documents and why Biden's aides were allowed to continue searching Biden's home even after the DOJ's appointment of a special counsel. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tau, NTD News. And the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial is the first on the mall to honor an African American. Families gathered at the monument to reflect on the history and pass on the legacy of the civil rights icon to the next generation. NTD's Melina Wisecup brings us a look. Martin Luther King Jr.'s stride towards freedom lives on in the nation's capital. Crowds gathered on a sunny day to reflect on King's nonviolent philosophy. Treating people with human kindness. We shouldn't be looking at people based on, you know, their differences or based on the color of their skin because at the end of the day, we're all human and we're all here on this world together. Because he wanted people to be treated equally too. And he's also from where I'm actually from, where I was born too. 
Born in Atlanta, Georgia in 1929, Dr. King led the fight for equality and was able to witness pivotal moments in American history when his goals were realized before he was assassinated in 1968. I didn't know it was as big as it is actually to see it in person. It's very nice. I definitely, definitely didn't know the monument was like this. This national monument has a very unique design. It shows Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. emerging out of a mountain, and this design was specifically inspired by Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, where he said, with this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. Those words carved right on the side of the massive structure. One of the favorite quotes actually comes from the year in which I was born in 1963, and it says that darkness cannot take out darkness. Light can take out, bring out lightness and love can bring out love. Several famous quotes like this one line the memorial. Each was said over the span of years and in several different places around the nation to empower people to stay the course in their pursuit of equal rights. History on full display, a place where families come to pass down the history from one generation to the next. Like he fought for civil rights and made white people and black people like come together, work together instead of arguing about things and work as community. He fought for everybody's rights to make sure everybody was heard without being violent. Among the most notable changes during King's time, 1954, the Supreme Court ruled segregating students based on race is unconstitutional. Ten years later, in 1964, the Civil Rights Act outlawed discrimination based on race, religion, sex, or national origin, followed by the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Successes that, once realized, helped America grow into a more equal and perfect union that many still strive towards today. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Turning now to the World Economic Forum. Most economists surveyed by the forum say a global recession is likely this year. It comes as leaders gather in Davos, Switzerland for the forum's annual meeting. The World Economic Forum published a report on Monday showing that almost two-thirds of their economists think a global recession is likely to happen this year. Another 18 percent say it's extremely likely. That's more than twice as many as in a previous survey conducted just a few months ago. The managing director of the World Economic Forum said the current high inflation, low growth, high debt and high fragmentation environment reduces incentives for the investments needed to get back to growth and raise living standards for the world's most vulnerable. The economists surveyed are from international agencies, including the International Monetary Fund, investment banks, and reinsurance groups. As you can see in this graph, 91% of their experts say they think the U.S. will experience weak economic growth, and 24% expect high inflation. Their outlook on Europe is even more dire. 100% of the economists say Europe will experience weak economic growth, and 57% say inflation will be high. Because poorer people are affected more, the World Economic Forum said that leaders must look beyond today's crises to invest in food and energy innovation, education and skills development, and in job creating, high potential markets of tomorrow. There is no time to lose. Other main findings of the survey, 9 out of 10 respondents expect both weak demand and high borrowing costs to weigh on firms. And they predict the expected challenges will lead multinational businesses to cut costs by laying off workers, reducing operational expenses, and more. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. And earlier today, I spoke with Epic Times financial reporter Kevin Stockland. He's a former Wall Street banker and the producer and host of the new Epic TV documentary, The Shadow State, which delves into these very issues. 
Kevin Stockland, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, in 2022, the World Economic Forum faced pushback and scrutiny at a level never seen before. This includes public scrutiny and pushback from many U.S. state governments, particularly taking aim at environmental social governance, or ESG, which the WF is heavily involved in. Has this been a point of discussion at this year's meeting? And if so, what's been said? Uh, it absolutely has been. Um, the founder of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, uh, said that we are stuck in a crisis mindset. And he was talking about um, all of the, the uh, pushback that's happened that's put the WEF on the defensive a little bit uh, this year. Certainly economic problems, but also uh, cracks are starting to form in their membership. For example, we just saw in December uh, BlackRock and State Street telling Texas state senators that, that they don't actually do anything to enforce ESG among their portfolios. We saw Vanguard, the third of the big three asset managers, dropping out of the net zero asset managers initiative. So it appears in some ways that cracks are starting to form. And I think the WEF feels that they're on the defensive. And one of the issues on their agenda is to get people back in line, uh, get them back uh, behind the, the kind of long-term crisis management that they're trying to implement, which is focusing on climate change. And don't worry so much about this pushback. Don't worry so much about inflation or the energy crisis or anything else. Right. You said partly why the tides are turning on the WF is because people are starting to feel the real life effects of ESG. Could you tell me more about that? Well, people are definitely feeling it economically. So the one of the hallmark policies of the WEF has really been a war on fossil fuels. And that's starting to succeed. We're starting to see um, reduction in production and refining of, of fossil fuels, oil, gas, uh, and coal as well. Well, of course, this creates a shortage. Um, so we are seeing energy prices go up. Um, and that flows to the whole economy. It's not just what you pay the pump. It's manufacturing, transportation, and food. And so prices are going through the roof, which is what happens when you have a shortage. So people are very much feeling this, and, and it is coming to light. And um, that is prompting a lot of um, people to, to start to question, well, what is this all about? So we saw, for example, governments in Italy and Sweden become conservative pushing back against this agenda, and certainly a number of U.S. states have been pushing back as well. And now there's also a movement among Republican U.S. representatives and attorneys general to investigate whether U.S. corporations' involvement with the WEF and ESG violates antitrust laws. Tell us more about that. Yes, so um, we do have very specific antitrust laws in the United States that forbid companies from colluding um, in restraint of trade, which basically means to try to take down uh, competitors or other other companies in our economy. So this is against the law. It's illegal in the United States. Um, what could be a, a more clear example of this than a bunch of companies gathering annually in Davos and signing agreements that they're going to take out the oil and gas industry or joining clubs like Climate Action 100, where they all pledge to do this? So um, it appears that uh, U.S. reps uh, in, in Congress may be uh, looking to bring um, some antitrust actions. They've sent letters to law firms that advise corporations on ESG, asking them to maintain their records. They've done the same with uh, international um, clubs like Climate Action 100. So it appears that we have the beginning of some investigations, and some state attorney generals are also looking into this issue as well. Now, world leaders and even government officials, such as FBI Director Christopher Wray, are attending this week's meeting. 
There's growing concern over the risks of collusion between unelected global bodies, governments, and corporations. What do you think about this? And is this something voters should be concerned about? Yeah, this is kind of uh, bad timing for the WEF because um, they're uh, having law enforcement and also U.S. intelligence. The U.S. intelligence director, um, Abel Hines, is also in attendance. So it begs the question, what is the role of law enforcement and U.S. intelligence agencies in what should be an economic forum? But as I said, the timing is a little off for them because we're just seeing this huge scandal erupt now um, about the FBI colluding with Twitter to censor uh, Americans for political reasons. And one of the high-profile cases is the New York Post article on the uh, Hunter Biden laptop and some incriminating uh, evidence against uh, Biden um, leading up to the recent election. So um, a lot of people are starting to question whether uh, government and industry are collaborating too closely and whether uh, law enforcement has become politicized. Your latest documentary, The Shadow State, examines some of the key issues here. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, so um, we've, uh, in this documentary, we've uh, interviewed a number of um, corporate executives, economists, legal experts, politicians, um, really on both sides of the issue, uh, looking at um, how this whole ESG network was created, um, how the uh, um, organizations like the WEF have been able to arm twist uh, the vast majority of uh, international corporations into going along with this agenda. And then we also take a look at what the effects are for everyday people in terms of not only uh, inflation and declining living standards, um, what the WEF calls the cost of living crisis, but also uh, the question is raised, where is our vote in all of this? So as the WEF meets and all of these people gather, where, where's the voice of, of the people in this? We don't get to have a say in any of this. So it's very much happening behind the scenes, and our documentary looks to bring a lot of it to light. All right, Kevin Stockland, host of The Shadow State, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. To get a deeper look at the World Economic Forum and its ESG agenda, visit theshadowstate.com, where you can watch Kevin's remarkable documentary on the topic. And looking now to Texas, where the mayor of New York City, on a visit to the border town of El Paso, addressed illegal immigration. He said his city is being undermined by the influx and that there's no more room. New York City Mayor Eric Adams was in the Democrat-led border town of El Paso on Sunday. He said his city has no more room to house illegal immigrants and called on the federal government for help. He told reporters that immigrants are being sent to New York while being given a false impression of the city. There are websites that are advertising that New York City basically streets are paid with gold, that there's automatic employment, that you're automatically going to be living in a hotel. There's a conversation among those who are asylum and uh, asylum seekers and migrants who are get, given the false impression that if you come to New York City, everything is fine. He praised some El Paso organizations for telling people how the situation in New York City really is. They are truly explaining to people that this is what's happening in New York right now. In New York, you go there, you're going to be living in concrete settings, that there is no more room in New York. That should be coordinated by our national government. 
not only done locally here by those NGOs, but it should be done by our national government. That is not happening. Adams' trip to El Paso comes after he said the influx of immigrants could cost the city as much as $2 billion. That's at a time when the city is already facing a major budget shortfall. Last week, the mayor also said the city had submitted an emergency mutual aid request to the state of New York to assist the arriving people. The number of illegal immigrants crossing the border has surged during Biden's first two years of presidency. Border Patrol agents made more than 2 million arrests at the southern border in fiscal year 2022. New York is currently housing around 26,000 immigrants. Adams said the city has seen the largest single-day arrivals ever. On one day, that number was more than 800. Over 3,000 illegal immigrants arrived just in the last week and a half. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, a dramatic change in the Chinese Communist regime's official number of recent COVID deaths. It raised it to 60,000 from just 37 a week ago. Find out what experts estimate the real number to be. And in the NBA, nearly three years after Kobe Bryant's death, a jersey he wore in-game is up for auction. It could fetch $7 million. NTD's Dave Martin has the story. That and more coming up. Turning to international news, authorities in Nepal have found the black boxes of the aircraft that crashed on Sunday. The crash killed at least 69 people. Searchers found both the cockpit voice recorder and flight data recorder today. The data on the recorders may help investigators determine what caused the crash. Yeti Airlines ATR-72 aircraft was carrying 72 people when it crashed in clear weather on Sunday. It was flying to a popular tourist city. Video footage shows the aircraft flying near buildings before turning sharply on its side. So far, 69 bodies have been recovered. Most of the passengers were Nepalese. This is Nepal's worst plane accident in 30 years. And China has released new figures on COVID-related deaths. They say close to 60,000 people have died in hospitals since the end of the zero-COVID policy. That policy was dismantled in early December, but many experts are still skeptical of the country's official data. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. China's official numbers are a big increase over their previously reported figures. But many experts are criticizing the country's lack of transparency around the pandemic and think the numbers have been widely understated. The World Health Organization says China heavily underreports COVID deaths. Authorities there had been reporting five or fewer deaths a day over the past month. China previously claimed to have one of the lowest death rates in the world, with just over 5,000 deaths since the pandemic began. These figures are inconsistent with the long lines seen at funeral homes and body bags seen leaving crowded hospitals. It's also a stark contrast to the U.S., where the numbers are 800 times higher. China recently changed the way it records COVID-related deaths to include only those that die from respiratory failure or pneumonia after testing positive. Airfinity, a UK-based health analytics company, estimates new cases to be around 3 million a day and close to 20,000 deaths every day. It estimates China has had over 44 million cases since December 1st. 
They say China likely saw its first peak of new infections last week, with around 3.7 million cases in one day. The company expects daily deaths to reach 25,000 in the coming weeks. Airfinity says it bases its estimates on data from China's regional provinces before the recent changes to China's reporting system. The analytics company combines this data with case growth rates from countries with strict lockdown measures like Hong Kong and Japan when they first lifted restrictions. A second peak is expected in early March, with daily cases predicted to climb to 4.2 million a day. A study by Peking University found some 900 million people in China have been infected. That would mean 64% of the country's population have carried or are carrying the virus. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And over in Ukraine, rescue hopes are fading after one of the war's deadliest strikes against civilians. Dozens of people have now been confirmed dead from Saturday's Russian strike on the Ukrainian city of Dnipro. Flora Bradley-Watson reports. Footage showed a woman on Sunday being rescued, still alive 18 hours after this nine-story apartment block was hit. Dozens are feared to be still trapped under the rubble, but the city's mayor says there's little hope of finding more survivors. Emergency workers could hear people screaming for help and were using moments of silence to help direct their efforts. Freezing temperatures added to rescuers' concerns. In his nightly address, Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky vowed to press ahead with the rescue mission. We are fighting for every person, he said. Russia fired two waves of missiles at Ukraine on Saturday, striking targets across the country. As fighting raged on the battlefield in the eastern towns of Solodar and Bakhmut. The attack on this apartment block in the east-central city of Dnipro was one of the worst strikes of the war against civilians. It was struck by a Soviet-era KH-22 missile. The missile is known to be inaccurate, and Ukraine lacks the air defences to shoot it down. The death toll could rise further still, with 30 people being treated in hospital, including young children. In a statement on Sunday about its previous day of strikes, the Russian Defense Ministry did not mention Dnipro as a specific target. Meanwhile, Russia and Belarus will begin what they're calling defensive air force drills on Monday, which have triggered fears in Kyiv and the West of a new ground offensive in Ukraine. Now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. A game-worn Kobe Bryant jersey from the 2008 season is expected to fetch between five and seven million dollars at an upcoming auction. Bryant, who won MVP that year, led the Lakers to the NBA Finals, and this jersey is from one of those playoff games. Now, the most ever paid for a Kobe jersey is 3.7 million, though the record for any game-worn jersey is the 10 million dollars paid for Michael Jordan's 1998 NBA Finals one. What makes this one so special though isn't just that Kobe won MVP that year. This particular jersey was worn approximately 25 times, including during one of Kobe's iconic celebration images. On April 23rd in a playoff game against Denver, Bryant hit a crucial three-pointer and was pictured tugging the jersey in celebration immediately afterwards. The photo was then made into a well-known mural in downtown Los Angeles soon after his tragic death in January of 2020. In college basketball news, Houston is the number one ranked team in the land now for the second straight week. The Cougars were followed by Kansas, Purdue and Alabama in today's poll, the same top four as last week. 
But while they remain unchanged, the rest were shuffled around after a record 11 ranked teams lost on Saturday. Among the biggest movers were UConn, which dropped 9 spots, and Arkansas, which fell 10. Meanwhile, Florida Atlantic made their first ever appearance in the poll, coming in at 24th. And for your sports watching schedule tonight, the NBA, which saw seven games this afternoon, has an already in progress Suns Grizzlies game, followed by a Lakers Rockets clash tonight. And similarly, in the NHL, the league, after five games in the afternoon, has six planned for this evening. That includes the Dallas Stars and winger Jason Robertson, who's fourth in the league in scoring, playing at Las Vegas. And finally, for you NFL fans, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers host the Dallas Cowboys tonight on the playoff version of Monday Night Football. And that's it for the sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.